And also, happy Mother's Day. I'm so glad uh, that so many of you have joined us for church this morning and uh, just come to get up and be here. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't know. There's, there's been a lot of mothers in my life. And I say that just me, you know, not that I have more than one mom. I have one mom, but I have my grandmother's been great. I've had uh, friends as moms. If you're one of those mom who's uh, raised a teenager, you've probably had some other kids consider you mom because they're just always at your house. They're always around. And, you know, those, that's a blessing. Also, happy Mother's Day to all those mothers who are, you just, you just have an immature husband. I get it, you know? Happy Mother's Day to you, too. You feel like mom sometimes, you know? Happy Mother's Day. You deserve it. Um, but I wanted to start off before we dive into our text today, share a little story about something when I learned my mother is not perfect. Uh, and this is, if you take it back a few years, when I was young, I was still in elementary school. And I remember my mom was going to make cookies. Yep. And, oh, here's a controversial opinion. There is a best cookie. And uh, so that's my two cents from the youth pastor. There's one best cookie. And I, that was the expectation. Mom said, I'm making cookies. And I was excited, a little, you know, as any kid is, kind of like I think of Sam Sanko. He runs in the church. He goes straight to the... Kids are excited about sugar. It's, it's normal. Uh, but excited me, mom making cookies. Expectation is the best cookie is a warm chocolate chip. Every other cookie's good. Like fresh out of the oven is just, oh, you, you can't beat it. Well, as soon as they're done, they're still warm. And it's not that it's a bad cookie, but it just doesn't compare to a chocolate chip. And I go and take a bite. Oatmeal raisin. <laughs> it's not a bad cookie, I promise. It's just, it doesn't compare. And the expectation is warm chocolate chip. Oatmeal raisin. It's just, and I should have paid attention. I should have noticed that those, that's not, that's not heavenly chocolate. That's, you know, that's a fruit pretending to be a snack. Uh, so <laughs> that's my two cents. And I share that story to talk about this. Our expectations in life. Sometimes we share what isn't good. Like we share what isn't the proper expectation. And that's what we're diving into in Galatians chapter 3. Uh, and we're going to see this. And if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, we've been uh, going through Galatians. And Bobby's been sharing... This uh, whole letter is about grace. It's about grace. And we're talking about this comparison today. And he talked about it a little bit last week of we've got these people who are Jewish and they became Christian. And there's also these Gentiles who were not Jewish who became Christian. And they're what makes up these churches in this city. And Paul is struggling trying to share with them, and they're struggling on, what do we do next? Because here's the deal, is, uh, and I think this is a good uh, start to this. Let's backtrack to Galatians 2, and I'm going to highlight just this really, really good statement by Paul. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body... 
I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't know about you, but that's just straight to the heart. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul gets grace and gets this idea. But the struggle is we got Jewish Christians and Gentile, new believer Christians, and these Gentiles are on fire, like absolutely on fire. They cannot comprehend God, and they want to just grow in faith. And they're confused, and they want to know, what do we do? What do we do? What do we need to do to get closer to God? What do we need to do? What's our next step? You ever met a new believer, and they're just, they want to be in church every single day? And it's awkward because we, like, we're only open like twice a week. Come on, man. You know, it's that type of stuff. They're just on fire. They want God. They want to be in par- involved in Bible studies, in all the ministries. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing some Christians who are on fire, and they go to these people. It's like, oh, you grew up with God? You know, the Jewish people? What do we do next? And they're saying, well, we have the law, and that says stuff like, uh, you know, get circumcised. Maybe you need to do that. And so Paul's, he's throwing up a big red flag saying, whoa, don't tell them to do that. They don't have to do that anymore. So as we dive into this, that's what is going through. And, I, and I, here's, here's what I think is really cool, is uh, the Bible always has things that are relevant to today, you know, like struggles in expectations in the church. It's always good. But uh, here's what we're going into. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be at the beginning of Galatians chapter 3. And it starts off with Paul is getting frustrated, it seems like. He is, I don't know if he's angry, but there's something going on. Uh, Verse 1, it says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Oh, this is, I swear, this is exactly what I grew up with mom, you know, just being angry, frustrated, or what's the phrase? I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. Oh, all those moms probably have said that or heard it. Uh, But it's like, you foolish Galatians. And then he, he, in a very mom fashion, I just want to know one thing from you, and then he proceeds to ask five more questions. Uh, I would like to, and this is what he says in verse, verse 2, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After, after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? And that, 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 that's, that's me. I feel like, you know, I got one question from you. Me in trouble all the time as a kid. Mom says, Are you, were you born in a barn? Did we raise you this way? Do we need to reteach you right and wrong? And me as the smart aleck, Mom, that was four questions, not one. Uh, But the whole thing comes from this idea that I don't think Paul's mad. I think he's genuinely concerned. Because these people, they don't get it. 
They're just not quite getting what Jesus has accomplished, what Jesus has done, what, that they're, how they're supposed to be on track. And he is so desperate to explain it. And, and luckily, it's Paul who's explaining it, who has this vast knowledge of ancient scripture and Jewish tradition. So he knows exactly what these experienced believers are thinking, and he knows what to say to these new believers to keep them on fire. So he continues in this verse, or in this section, in verse 6. He says, Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So this is the way of thinking. And we got these Jewish Christians, and they're, I don't know if they're convinced or they just don't know what to say when these new believers come and say, what do I do next? And they're saying, uh, get circumcised? <laughs> you know, that's what the law says. And Paul is saying, no, you don't have to go to those lengths. And here's an example. Abraham, was, he was not written as a follower of the law. And we'll go into details about that later. He was called a man of faith because he believed God. And because he believed God, he was righteous. We're using a real example. And here's, a, here's the deal. Is there's a lot of times in today where we, and if you call yourself a veteran believer, you may have the scripture. You may understand the scripture, but not everyone does understand it. You know, we, we can know it, and I'm, I've met plenty of people who know the scripture. They know verse after verse after verse, but then there's sometimes they memorize verses for their own agenda, and then they use them out of context, and that's a big red flag. And I think that's the same thing here is we got these Jewish believers who are saying, I think this is what you're supposed to do. But here's the deal. They didn't know the purpose of the law. The whole deal was, and the whole deal, I'm, I'm saying this all with this idea that there is a huge difference between knowing the scriptures and understanding the scripture. Knowing the scripture is being able to recite a whole chapter. Understanding it is knowing what it means and why it was in the Bible, why Paul wrote it. That's the difference. And I feel like these Jewish Christians... They just, they're just rambling on, and they're like, I think this is it. And we as believers today need to be very careful with our words. We need to be very careful with our words, because we say something, and it may not really describe and really speak to the character of God. And I think that's what Paul's getting at. Verse 10, it says, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, 
so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So he's basically trying to explain their scripture, their history to these people, and he's basically trying to say, hey, you need to get out of this mindset that you are still God's chosen and only people. So I think that's kind of where it gets into the whole heart of these Christian or these Jewish Christians is they're still considering themselves God's chosen people. You remember how much like the Pharisees hated Jesus because he was talking to the Gentiles and doing good things to the Gentiles? It's because they treated their relationship with God as a private country club and they're blessed because of it. In reality, Jesus' Jesus's whole ministry was, no, you are blessed by God to be a blessing to the world to be a blessing to others, to be a blessing to the Gentiles. And that's what he's trying to say. He redeemed you. He redeemed you in order to give the blessing to the Gentiles as well. Man, it's just kinda, they're just kind of missing the mark, the whole idea that God's only for us. No, no, God came to save all people. He said all nations will be blessed. All peoples will be saved. That righteousness Righteousness was God's goal for all people. And that's where the law fell short. But verse 15, it, he kind of gets right to the heart of it, and he's really trying to hammer this home. And in, I don't know, I read this and I think, Paul must be a preacher because this is what he says. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. You hear the preacher, Paul? Yeah. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. Human covenants. He's talking about real-life agreements, like marriage. No one can add to it. You can't add a third person to your covenant. That's the whole idea. And he says, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The, the scripture does not say to his seeds, meaning many, but to your seed, meaning one. Who is Christ? What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise, but God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. So he's basically trying to explain this. Abraham was an example of faith. We, he, he's coming back to this Abraham example. And he's basically saying it, he was righteous because of his faith, not because of the law, because the law wasn't around when Abraham was around. So was he not saved? Was he not made righteous? The scripture said he was. You know, you ever get into an argument who just wait, knows way more about it, and you're like, well, I shouldn't have done this. You know, that's, I feel like that's basically him talking to these Jewish people. And he's getting to the fact that this, the law doesn't save. The law doesn't save you. The law doesn't save you. The law doesn't save you. Only the grace of God saves. And so why? They're probably asking, why? What's the purpose of the law then? And that's the very next thing he says. In verse 19, he says, what then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgression until the seed, Jesus, to whom the promise referred, had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God does. Is the law therefore opposed to the promise of God? Absolutely not. 
For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. So what he's saying is the law has a purpose. It did. It's not that it it wasn't good for anything. The law was given so that they, at the time, could see that they are naturally sinful and there was, and the standard for righteousness was so high, almost unachievable, impossible to follow. The law was sent to show that they needed a savior. They needed a savior. They needed someone to redeem them. They needed someone to set them free. And the law had all these commands, and they were set to be earthly guidelines on how to live. And the whole idea is, if you can't even follow these guidelines that God gives you, how can you achieve righteousness? How can you be saved? And the whole point was to show these people, you can't. You can't. You will always fall short. There will always be mistakes. There will ne- you will never be good enough. And that's what he's trying to communicate. Is that you're missing the point of the law. You're missing the point of our Old Testament. You're missing the point of Scripture. Is meant to show you that you are in need of a Savior. In verse 23, he says, Before the faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was not put in charge to lead us to Christ. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. The law was meant to point to Christ. It was meant to point to Christ. It was meant to show that the expectations we have, the guidelines, the the example to live was never going to be achievable on our own. We could never meet that so it's when we I, and this is how it's it bothers me when people refer to scripture and they see things when they read about stuff that Jesus went through and they put themselves in the, the, the shoes of Jesus because when we compare ourselves to Jesus we don't measure up and we will never measure up and Paul is <laughs> he's kind of rambling on about uh, faith in Christ and the law and it's all for a purpose and he's got, I think it brings up two things, and it's really well-spoken, especially to the Jewish believers, and you have these veteran believers, and then you got these new believers. And he does two things. For the new believers, he communicates this message. Following God isn't a burden to put on others. Following God isn't a burden to put on others. You know, I think of this back, I think of lifelong believers who, who talk about following God as it it was a struggle, which sometimes it is, but they talk about how they would rather be doing other things. And I, I heard it a lot when I was in Bible college with other people who were trying to be pastors and ministers. I didn't party a lot. I didn't drink a lot because I was a good Christian. So you would have rather been partying? You would have rather? It's like, why are you making it sound like following God's a burden? It's not a burden. It's a blessing. 
And we shouldn't be guilt-tripping people into faith. We shouldn't be installing doubt in their mind. We shouldn't be doing any of that. We should be compelling people into deeper relationships. We should be sharing that it is a joy to follow God. It is a blessing to follow God because we are, we are saved. We need to act like it. But for these new believers, Paul is communicating a different message completely. And what he's saying is this. The only standard of living, the only standard of the way we need to live is Christ. It is Christ and Christ alone. You know, that's the whole point of the law was to point to him. And here's the deal. If you read scripture or if you use scripture in a different way that doesn't point to Christ or if it says something completely opposite of Christ, it says to be cruel instead of merciful. It says not to forgive. You're, you're, I don't think you're, you're using scripture correctly. Because if it doesn't point to Christ, then we are wrong. We are in the wrong because he is the only way. He was perfect. He was blameless. He was the son of God. And if, if we, our lives don't try to strive for that, then we're failing. And I come back to this after we're reading all this and we come to this idea of grace. Because the whole theme of this is grace. And uh, I was asked about grace and kind of how to define it. And I asked some kids about it. And I was like, What's grace? And some of them say forgiveness. And that's, that's a good way to describe it, but, I, but grace is even more than just forgiveness. I think they're kind of two different things, because forgiveness is forgiveness, and then there's grace, which is, I describe it as forgiveness and then some. Because it's giving you what you don't deserve, as well as you being forgiven. And I think the world it gets to us today, where it twists around things, and it tells us forgiveness is enough. Forgiveness is grace. When I think that's wrong. We look at the gospel and, and I think Jesus tried to explain God's love, the kingdom of heaven, God's forgiveness, and God's grace in a lot of different ways. He uses parables a ton. And I think the world has twisted the way we look at grace. One of my favorites is Matthew 20. And I say this is my favorite because this is something I struggle with where my earthly side gets into this and think, yep, that's what I would think too. So if you have your Bibles, and here's a, you don't have to turn to it, I'll just read it, but it's a, it's a good story of forgiveness and generosity, and I think it changes how God sees the world and how we see the world. So Matthew 20, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed them to pay a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. And about the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went, and he went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing around here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. And the workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. 
So when those who those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last work only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have been born the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. I think about this. And I, and I think about the heart of why these Jewish Christians are like, you need to do this, because, and maybe it's coming back to the fact that it's because we did it. You need to match our level of living. And Jesus, and the whole idea of the gospel is, no, we need to match Jesus' level of living. We need to strive for that. And I read that, and I, I, even today I still, generosity can look it looks twisted sometimes because it immediately goes to their mind, we deserve more. We deserve more. I think grace is twisted too because oftentimes we think we deserve grace. No, we don't. Paul said it very clearly. No, he took, Jesus took on a curse for us. That curse was meant for us. What we deserve, we didn't get. We deserve condemnation. We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve justice. And Paul, is, he's speaking in this letter, and I think it's very clear. He, he gets it because he thought at one point he was in the right. Philippians chapter 3. You remember that when he says stuff like, hey, if there was anyone who was doing it right, it was me. He calls himself a Pharisee, a Pharisee, the Hebrew of Hebrews. So he's like, I, everything was done right, and I followed the law of the letter. And he says, but that was garbage. He's like, I, what I did wasn't right. I was missing the point. And I think he, he ends this chapter trying to have them see not what they were, but what they are. Verse 26, it says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I think his whole point is, you are no longer what you were. You are no longer what you were. You are no longer Jewish. You are no longer Gentile. You are no longer slave. You are no longer free. It doesn't matter what you were. Your past is called the past because it is past and Jesus is the now. You know what breaks my heart? When I hear people bring up their past after they've become Christians, after they've given themselves to Jesus and they still say, I'm still an addict. I'm, I'm still a thief. I'm still a sinner. I'm still... It. You're in Christ. You have a struggle, yes. All of us have struggles, but that is not who you are anymore. You are one with Christ Jesus. You are in Christ. And we are all in this together. 
the big problem that Paul is getting at is they created a separation between each other. The Jews, they thought they were on a higher level because we've known God forever. We've done all these things for God. We followed the law to the letter. You need to as well. But Paul is, Paul is making it pretty clear. It's not about what you do for God. But it's about what Christ has done for us. Them and you. Gentiles and Jews. It's, Christ has done it for all. All nations will be blessed. That's that promise that was given to Abraham. All of us will be blessed. All of us will be included. We will all be in Christ. When we put up walls between us and other people, Christ isn't glorified. Because only the God of all grace has the power to save us. Only God can save us. No rules we follow, nothing we can ever do can save ourselves. We, there's no rules we have to follow. We are saved. We are saved. We are saved. I got one more story before I close up, and I'll ask the worship team to come up on stage as, we, uh, as I get ready to close. And uh, it's a really cool story about... And I think it's fitting for Mother's Day. And it's a story I read about last year, and I finally got a chance to share it. I love this stuff. But on, uh, and I got a picture. It's a lady and her son. She calls him her spiritual son. Um, but this is Mary Johnson. And in uh, 1993, her 20-year-old son was murdered. And the perpetrator was a 16-year-old named O'Shea Israel, and he received 25 years in prison for it. But uh, many years later, I think it was in 2005, she was still struggling with grief, heart, heartache, and heartbreak. And uh, inspired by her, her faith, she wanted to seek out forgiveness and reconciliation. So in 2005, she went and visited... Uh, visited him in prison with the purpose of to find forgiveness to give him forgiveness and she said in an interview too she said that wasn't for him he's got to make deal with that himself I, I offered him forgiveness for me and uh, she continued to visit him she continued to, continued to stay in contact and then in 2010, he was released from prison. And after that, she invited him to live next door to her. Like one wall in a duplex separating him and her. She invited him to church. He, he went and they started a, he, she started a ministry that he helps him called From Death to Life with the purpose of reconciliation for mothers who have lost loved ones, especially children. And the purpose is forgiveness, reconciliation. But she now calls him her spiritual son because what they did and what has happened has been come together to glorify God. And I share this story just because it's, I mean, it's 
really amazing, and I can't comprehend that. But there's the forgiveness part, and then there's the and then some, where she invited him into her life. And I come back to the picture of the cross. The picture of the cross, how it was our sins who nailed Christ to the cross. It was our sins that was laid upon him. It was for our transgressions and our failures, our mistakes, our sinful nature, that he bore the wrath of God for us. And it would have been a fine if he just forgave us, died for our sins, and left us. Told us, hey, strive for the law. That's it. That's your guideline. Good luck. But he didn't. He rose from the dead and he came back and he said, through, through me you will be saved. Through me you will have eternal life. Through me you will come and be with the Father. We can't comprehend grace without understanding the cross. We can't understand grace without understanding what Jesus went through. We can't understand grace without understanding God's love for us. It just doesn't make sense. And there will still be people who look at the story of her and this man and say, that's not good. He is a killer. But she says, no, he's my new son. He's my spiritual son. And together they bring healing. That's just a, a portion of the love God has for us. Because Paul said it, God calls us all to be sons and daughters. So as I close out, and I want to offer up this, I'm going to come back to this verse, and I think this needs to be the theme. Galatians 2, 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me who loved me and gave himself for me, who loved, that should be written on our hearts. We should think of that every single day this week. Every, I wish we could uh, tattoo that on our forehead. So every day we look in the mirror, we say, God loved me and gave himself for me. What's not to love? What's not to... There's too much. There's too much I can say. But all I can say is this. If you don't know the love of Jesus, that's a picture of it. That's a picture of it. That's a picture of the love God has for us. That he would give Jesus. And he would give himself for us. So as I close, I want to offer up two things. If you have a decision to make, if you've never understood the gospel and you've never understood the idea that you've never been good enough, and that's the need for a Savior, I want to give you a chance to come. We've got connect cards in the, in the pews. Feel free to fill that out if you want to make a decision. Or maybe you struggle with forgiveness. Maybe you're like her, you need to forgive someone in your life. Maybe you're like him. You need to forgive yourself. Forgiveness is, forgiveness is tough. But grace is almost unimaginable. And thank God for the grace that he gives us. I'm going to offer up a word of prayer. And if you have anything that you need prayer for, I pray you seek a, seek 
I would happily pray with you. I'd pray you seek someone out, a friend, a close one. Yeah, I'd pray with you. If you have a decision to make, you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time, I pray you let someone know, let me know. Because God, God's given us so much grace, and he deserves all the praise. Thank you so much, mothers, for all you do, even to those who are not your own. What a glorious way to reflect God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are good. Lord, it's, it's hard to comprehend the grace you have, the grace you currently have for each one of us those of us who are sinful, who have made mistakes, who constantly struggle, and yet still you send Christ. We can't love, we can't meet the expectations and the standard of the law. We can't meet your guidelines, but still you sent Christ. We will fail. We continue to fail, but still you sent Christ. Lord, your love is Your love is hard to comprehend. Thank you so much for it. Thank you so much for Jesus, the sacrifice he made. And then you call us sons and daughters. Lord, it's a blessing. Lord, it's a blessing I pray we we radiate in our lives. To our friends and our family, Lord, I pray that we strive to be like Christ and Christ alone. Thank you so much for your son. In your son's holy name I pray. Amen.